Let's pray before we start it. And I want to kind of piggyback on uh, something that E prayed. You know, money finances during Christmas time can get very easily out of hand. And um, I want to just, you know, ask God just to bless us and just give us, you know, a fresh perspective on how to handle our money during the holidays in a way that really honors Him, you know? Because we definitely don't want debt from Christmas carrying into March or to next year or to the year after that. Definitely wouldn't honor Him, you know? So, Father, like Brother E uh, prayed, we thank you for what you've given us. And, Lord, uh, we want to be responsible with that, Lord, and obedient to what you've called us to. And, God, you've done such a work in our hearts and in our lives. We're just grateful. And we realize as we grow in relationship with you that we actually don't own anything. You give us an ability to to earn and and make what we make. But Father, at the end of the day, we're just stewards. We're managers, Father, of what you've given us. And I just pray, Father, that during this Christmas season, that uh, honoring you, Lord, and um, the idea of giving gifts, Lord, and just put everything into just a better place, Lord, a healthy place. A focus more on bringing your presence than maybe providing presence for everybody else. So, Father, help us to grow in the area of holidays, Lord, and gift giving and and knowing um, when to buy things and not to buy things. And sometimes a gift doesn't really bless anyone, Lord. It just accumulates more things. And, and Father, we want to bring your heart and just really bless those around us um, in ways that you've directed us, Lord. So show us how to do that well, Father. Forgive us for at times in the past where maybe we've gone too far and uh, made gift-giving and and money just a focal point of the holiday and just not in a good way. We want to try and do better this year, Lord. We want to show others that we love them and care about them and show us, Lord, how to do that really well. Sometimes that involves money and gifts and sometimes it doesn't. So just guide us with wisdom, Lord. And then we just ask, of course, Lord, this morning, speak to us through your word. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you don't only use perfect people and that you're more faithful than we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, uh, this is a wild passage. What do you think of, you know, we've been studying and talking about King David. And when people think about King David, I mean, they think about David and Goliath. Um, they think about King David. They think about royalty. They might think about David and Bathsheba, right, is one kind of big mistake that everybody knows about. Um, but as we've been studying through the life of David, I hope that you're finding, number one, um, an, a man who had his heart in a particular place with God and is just really encouraging. You just really admire it. And it's just, it's something that, um, you know, you long for, I hope. It's just, it's inspiring. And hopefully it's encouraging. We're also, because we're going right through the whole story, we're also seeing David not at his best. And so a couple chapters ago, we saw King David, the the, uh, giant killer, committing himself 
to killing all the males in an entire family because he got ripped off in a business deal. It's like, what the? What is, who is this guy? So it wasn't his best day. And then today, we're going to read, um, he's having a really bad, not just day, not just week, but like year and a half. And so this chapter, uh, you know, what it does for me, hopefully what it does for you is I hope you find some encouragement knowing just God doesn't need perfect people. He needs authentic people. He needs transparent people. He wants relational people. This is what's important. Because it's very true that he is incredibly more faithful than we are. And to me, that's just such good news. And that doesn't mean that our, be, our obedience to what he's called us to do is optional. There definitely still is uh, ownership and responsibility on our part for what God has called us to do, for what he's destined over our lives. And much of how we live that out is dependent upon our cooperation with what he wants to do. Does that make sense? But the amazing good news is that there's this thing that starts with a G and ends with an E. Grace that covers our life and empowers us and encourages us to walk in close relationship with Him, to experience who He is and the promises that are really true of what He really says. Because otherwise, we can live in a place of just theological talking points and just sort of thinking the right way, but honestly never really connecting with the heart of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. I've been there myself. Maybe you have from time to time. I have no idea. But it's just like, man, you can just read the Bible and be around so many God and Christian things and go to Bible studies and do this and do that. And you completely just miss the heart of God. And I can just remember seasons of my life where I'd be like teaching Sunday school, going to Bible studies, doing this, doing that. And I wouldn't even read my Bible for like two weeks or really engage with the heart's Lord for like a couple weeks. I mean, maybe like throughout the day, be like, okay, God, I need your help in this. Get to like the next thing. God, you got to get me through this. God, I need you there. And like that's like what it would consist of. And it's like, that is so far from the unity that we're supposed to be having, what we've been created to be in, what Jesus prayed about. It's so far. So far from where God really wants us to be. Where he wants us to encounter and be close to his heart. And really walk with our Father who art in heaven. So, I'm encouraged when I read places in the Bible where I can really see clearly God's faithfulness even when an individual was super unfaithful. In fact, even heading the other direction. And I'm like, man, Lord, like, you are like, a lot better than what I think you are. And your love is a lot greater than what I think it is. I like passages like that. So that's why I'm intrigued by this passage. So we're going to read it, pull a couple things out. Okay, do some communion. Sing a little bit, okay? So let's go. First Samuel 27. Verse 1. And let me just say before we read verse 1, 
I can't give you all of last week. You can listen to it online. But we ended off where David was getting uh, hunted by Saul for the second time. And David just came off of an awesome personal victory with the Lord. Saul was trying to kill him. David made all the right moves. He did nothing but honor Saul. Saul started crying and wept. He's like, I'm so sorry for trying to hunt you down and kill you. I'm doing the wrong thing. God has his hand upon your life. He's going to establish you as king. I'm sorry for getting in the way of this. And so David, just coming off of a huge victory. Now sometimes, when we come off of just doing something really well, and we got a nice victory going, we're just feeling like, I'm doing it. I'm getting there. I'm just feeling more victorious. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going like, to get even some more victories. Sometimes, a very strong discouragement, distressful situation, confusing situation is not very far away. And that's what's going to happen with David. He comes off a really big high, and now he's going to start getting down real low. So in verse 1 he says, But David thought to himself, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. What in the heck? Where did that come from? If you have at all been paying attention to anything we have been doing at church here during all of 1 Samuel, if you've ever read the book of 1 Samuel, this whole book, most, just about all of it, 85% of it, is about David and about how God is establishing him as king. And God has told David countless times about how he would be king, about how he would protect him, about how he would vindicate him, about how through actually his line, God will save people, eventually get Jesus Christ through David's line. And David has said repeatedly, God will set me free from my enemies. He will vindicate me and justify me from Saul and from any of my enemies. And so all of a sudden, we never read this from David before. He started thinking to himself, like, you know what? Saul is actually going to take me out. He's going to kill me. This is going to be it. I got to get out of here. Like, where did that come from? I don't know. But I do know this. Sometimes, when you're in a season where you're getting squeezed, you're getting challenged a lot for an extended period of time, you're going to have some victories, hopefully. But it's really difficult, it's really difficult to maintain the faith and the patience needed to not give in to discouragement, distress, and depression. It's really difficult. It's very difficult. And so for the first time, we're going to see in David's life that where it hits him hard, and he pretty much he gives in for the most part. So he's already thinking in his mind, you know what? I'm going to get killed. Where he's been saying the whole time it's never going to happen. We, he wrote psalms about how it's never going to happen. He praised God how it's never going to happen. And then he gets to that day and he's like... You're going to kill me. Like, have you listened to anything? You know what I find really encouraging? Like, things will happen in my life from time to time. And I'll just be in a certain place and I'm like... And there's been several times, you know, where I'm just like in that discouraged, just like that funky, you know, just like, ah, just 
it's just not like it's not a fun place. You don't like being there. You know, it's not a good place. And so somebody will like say something to me or send me a text or um, share something with me. And it's been on a couple of occasions. I'm like, man, that is good. Thank you a lot. You know, for like, I'm just glad you stepped up and just thank you. And on a couple times, they've said to me, well, that's what you said to me. Or they said, that's what you preached at church at such and such time. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. And it's like one of those things where it's like, you need to be reminded. And we need people in our lives to remind us of those things. And to keep stuff fresh. Because we're not intended to be able to do the whole thing and carry it alone. And somehow we can just... We're all good on our own on an isolated island. It's just me and Jesus and forget everything else we got. If you think that's the model of relationship with Jesus Christ, you're severely mistaken. You will find that nowhere in the scriptures. I have several friends who are like, you know, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, all right. So you would say he's like Lord of your life? Like he's your Savior? I mean, you're going to celebrate the Savior's birth? Well, I, I, I don't know about that, you know, but I have a relationship with The terms of the relationship can get foggy if you just kind of listen to what's going on around. But if you're able to, like, stay in the Word, like, it becomes very clear what the terms of the relationship are. Our Father, true. Savior, absolutely. Lord, absolutely. Judge, absolutely. So all of these things, Prince of Peace, absolutely. It's an amazing relationship. That's why it's so important for us to be connected and to be together. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I am most excited about that's happening right now um, in, in people's lives, individual lives, and in, their, and in our church. Since we planted the church, um, I have never seen such a... Uh, such a unity developing to where it's like people are really starting to own their lives in a really responsible way before Christ, a really mature way. They're just together as a church family, looking out for one another. And it is just such a blessing to hear about and to see. I've been just super encouraged by it. Julie has been as well. And like, it's just so good. It's so healthy. Because at the end of the day, like, we feel like God put on our hearts to come here to Naugatuck. To plant a church that is a church of Naugatuck. It's not Jared and Julie's church. That was never our intention. We never wanted that. We just responded to a call where God said, Hey, listen, there's, there's a group of people here. There's a place here. That's where I want you to minister and raise something up. I have a bride here that I'm doing some work in, and I want you guys to help form that together. And at the end of the day, like, it's CC Nogi. Calvary Chapel Naugatuck, like, it's everybody's church. So it's just so cool. It's just so awesome. And then there's more cool things coming up with the new year. There'll be some other changes, but it's all really good. So I know that's a lot, long time on verse 1, but it's all kind of connected to where we need to be together because discouragement and distressing situations and depression, honestly, is not that far away. And we, any one of us can very easily get sucked into it especially in isolation. Because sometimes we want to try and handle things. I just got to figure this out. I hear that phrase all the time. I got to figure this out. I got to figure it out. And there's some truth to that. But for a Christian, like, 
I've seen so much fruit in figuring it out with a couple other voices in my life. Immediately. Right away, right from jump. When you're still confused and you still look bad and you still look depressed and discouraged, I've needed voice in my life. And I've seen other people right from the beginning getting voices into their life to help them through it and encourage them. Help pick them up. And so, uh, so I'm excited by what the Lord's doing and he's by no means done. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. So I promise, not all the verses go like that. So, David, i got to get out of here. The best thing I can do is to escape the land of the Philistines. Yes, you read that right. He is going to run away and live at the Philistines. What in the world? This is Goliath. He's a Philistine. All they've done in Israel is wage war with the Philistines, the neighboring nation. They just I've always had this conflict. And there's always this violent fighting back and forth. And it's like, and so David's like, honestly, this guy's trying to kill me. I'm just going to go live with my enemies. And it gets even crazier. Then he says, he says, then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So his, his reasoning is, honestly, you know what? I don't really want to trust God with really Him saving me right now if I stay here. I'd rather trust the protection of the Philistines. That's a sad place to be, isn't it? It's a sad place. Verse 2. So David and the 600 men with him went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. And if you don't remember, last time David saw this guy Achish, everybody say Achish. Achish. Just making sure you're awake. Every time saw Achish, well, not every time, the last time, he pretended to be insane. He went to this king of Achish, he had a beard, he pretended to be insane, he started drooling on himself, he started talking crazy, because he was scared of what was going to happen to him. He was by himself, he was on the run, he just started to be on the run, he didn't have 600 people with him, he didn't know what was going on, so he gets to this king, he pretends to be literally insane, talking crazy, you know, just like, uh, you know, however he does it. And that's the last time he comes in contact with this guy. Now he shows up again to Achish, who's the king of Philistine. And he's got 600 men with him. He's looking a little more composed and like together. And so he goes to him. uh, Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country's towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So he sees him and says, hey, listen, I think I should live here for a while. And he's got 600 guys with him. Their job for a long time was protecting, protecting people in the wilderness, specifically rich people, like rich clientele. Like that, that's, what, that's who our clients were. He would protect them from raiding marauders and people that would go around trying to take over rich people and rich families that had a lot of things. So David and 600, they would protect people from that. And so David shows up, he says, hey, listen, I got 600, like, we're really large, we got 600 and their families, how about we stay here for a while, and we'll also help you out, so give us a spot. Verse 6, so on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, everybody say Ziklag. Ziklag. Yep, Ziklag, that's a spot. 
And it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. It says David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. So he's there almost a year and a half. He gets ziklag, this whole, this whole thing. Let's read some more. Verse 8. Now David and his men went up, raided the Gershurites, Gerzites, the Malachites, the Mosquito Bites. No, they're not there. I say that one all the time. I know, I'm sorry. I, I know, whatever. Verse 9. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive. He took sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, clothes. Then he returned to Achish. You read all of that correctly. What in the... I remember the first time I ever read this. I think I was maybe like 15 or 16. The whole time I was like, what am I... Do I have the right book? Like, <laughs> it's like, what, what's going on here? This is like horrible. You understand, this is horrible. He would go in and he would raid. Canaanites, small Philistine villages, he would go in and he would kill everyone there. This is horrific. So far from the will of God, it's ridiculous. So he would go in, kill everybody, and take everything. The monster that he was trying to protect people from, he now became. What? Verse 10, and he bring all this stuff. He brings some of the, the plunder to Achish. Verse 10, when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, here's what he would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. So here's what David did. So he would go to these small Canaanite nations. He would go to these small Philistine villages. He would go to these small groups of people that were not Hebrew. They were not Israel. He would kill everybody there. Get all this spoil. Bring it back to King Achish. He'd get a cut of whatever. David would keep whatever he would keep, whatever their agreement was. And he would then lie. He had to now lie to gain the loyalty of Achish. So he would lie and he'd say, listen, I just came back from raiding parts of Judah, parts of Israel, Hebrews, which the Philistines hated. So not only would he go out and kill and take, which is all completely wrong, then he would lie about doing it to gain his loyalty with this guy. Think about how close he was to God during this time. Yeah, not so much. The other interesting thing is, you won't find anywhere in any of the Psalms, David didn't write any Psalms during this year and a half. Not one. It's probably not that surprising, considering where he's at and what he's doing. So, it says, Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious or has become such a stench to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. So Achish is thinking, man, this guy just flipped. Like, he's off Philistine all day now. Like, he's just taking out Hebrews and Israel. He could care less about his countrymen. He's like, I got him. 
It says in, 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 in to 28, only two verses, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And we stopped there. So Achish finds out all the stuff about David, and David's like, you know, I've been doing all this, doing all these things, and Achish says, hey, listen, next time, you know, we go to battle, big battle with Israel, you're with me, you're in it. And David's response to him, and he doesn't hesitate, he's like, good, then you can see firsthand what like, I'm actually able to do. And there's nothing in there to indicate that he was like, just kidding. He's in a bad place. Everybody knows he's in a bad place, very obvious, right? certainly one thing that I find to be encouraging from this is that we know how David turns out, right? We know how David turns out. He turns out King David. Turns out with Solomon. Turns out in a really good place. For a year and a half, man, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, really bad. And so the thing that encourages me is that God does not need perfect people to get done what he wants to get done. He just doesn't. He does not need perfect people to get done what he wants to get done. And sometimes I think that many of us were really guilty of disqualifying ourselves or disqualifying others based upon what we see, think, or observe. I am not saying that there's never a point. If somebody turns, let me ask you this question. It's just rhetorical, just something to think about. At what point is somebody really just disqualified from being used by God? It's something worthwhile to think about. The reality is, the situation is we've all been created to be in fellowship. And Colossians says we are created by God for God. We're created by Him to be in relationship with Him. That's just as He says, it is what it is. That's the deal. We've been created to be in fellowship with Him. There are some people at some points in time where they say, you know what? Maybe, but I'm not interested and I don't want it. They say that for a whole lifetime? Because sometimes people just say it for a season. That's the reality. I know these people. I've been in contact with these people. I've been around their lives. I've seen who they are. It's just like that for a season. Some people do it their whole lives, and there's just nothing sadder. Because ultimately, they are going to be before Jesus and have to give account. So, this idea of disqualification, I think it's worthwhile to think about, one, for ourselves, and one, also, and two, for other people that we're around. It's really important to think about that. In the New Testament, Paul writes, I have it here for you. It's in, um, it's in 1 Timothy. It says this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, 
But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. If you miss any of that, what Paul said is he said, listen, he was just like David. He was in a position where he would actually go persecute and kill people that wanted to follow God just for being Christians. And Paul was radically changed by God because of an encounter with him. And he said, man, God has done an amazing work in my life. He's shown me so much grace and mercy that I don't deserve. And that's the idea behind grace and mercy. You don't deserve it. And then he says, God did it so that when I'm on this earth and I interact with people, they will see the type of God that he is because of what he's done in my life. Paul is saying the work that God has done and the way he's positioned me and where he's positioned me and how he's used me to write two-thirds of the New Testament, plant all kinds of churches, it's not because I'm so amazing. It's because he is so gracious, merciful, and compassionate. And I responded. And here's what he did when I responded. And I want to let you know that so many times, way too many people... Way too many people disqualify themselves way too early and very inappropriately. It's like, oh, I got this in my background. I have that. I've done this. And you get the whole rap sheet. And listen, I'm not debating whether or not you did those things. And the Lord isn't debating upon whether or not you did those things. He knows full well. But that's the point. He knows full well. And then he says, I know. And things need to be worked out in your heart and in your life. So that does not repeat. But it's not like you're in probationary period. And then he wants to shower his love and blessings and favor upon you to then be used. Honestly, the pattern that the way God uses us is that if we respond to him, that's a big if, right? Everybody knows that's a big if. Sometimes the battle is right there just to the respond part. If that goes favorably and good, and we do respond, what happens is, God will start using us immediately. Just to encourage other people, to just help other people where they're at, to bring something different to our family. Uh, He'll just do different things with us. It might not be on a huge, massive scale, but things are happening and things are going on. We're starting to look at things differently. Our hearts are changing. People around us are noticing a change. Things happen. And the amazing thing is, God is doing that, but what He's also doing is He's also doing the work needed inside of us so that we can eventually get to a particular destiny and calling and plan that He has for our lives. 
That's what he's doing with us. And that's like, ah, oh, that element of because like we're doing, because we're not perfectly performing and we have just shaded, bad, just wrong things in our past that we've done. Those have to be dealt with and God will do it and he will do a work so that way it doesn't sabotage you for later. I promise you that. You commit your heart to him and you stay focused and we stay close. He handles that stuff and it works out. It's going to involve a lot of humility. It's going to involve a lot of tears. It's going to involve a lot of painful things. Might even happen for a long time. Here's the amazing news though. Is that during that entire process, you can still, bless you, you could still bring a prayer into somebody's life that would change their life forever. In the middle of your sobbing mess. Because it is not about the current mental state that you're in. It is about the supernatural God that you serve. That one was heavy, right? That's the truth and that's the reality. Is that we will be in relationship with God and He's going to be doing a work inside of us and just all these things. And the reality is, if Kayla walks up to somebody and prays for somebody, it is not at all surprising in the kingdom if she prays for somebody's headache to be gone in a moment that they've had for three weeks, it'll be gone in a moment. It's not uncommon. And it's not because she's perfect. And it's not because she's super Kayla, even though she might think so. It's because she serves an amazing God who really loves people. And he wants to demonstrate his love for people. And sometimes he'll do it in a healing right then and there. Sometimes he'll just do it in an encouraging word. He would do it in a variety of ways. But if we're never available because we're so stuck on how horrible we are, we never get to the good work that he wants to do in us and through us. So we formulated like this Christianity that just gets so self-centered upon this like pity party world that we can live in and stay in. And there might be something noble we think about it because God's doing a work in us. And so like, bleh, you know what I mean? It's like, and there's something noble, but it's not noble. That's why there's this element of joy behind that because, well, yeah, it's like, man, I jacked up a lot of stuff for a long time and God has a lot of work to do, but it's such for a good reason and He uses me in the midst of it. I can still have something good to say in Bible study even though I had a whole life of bad things that went wrong. You can have a life-changing truth that God puts on your heart for a family member or for somebody close or for whoever. You might not be qualified to teach a Sunday morning service, but I promise you, you're qualified to bless and minister in an extremely powerful way at Walmart in the parking lot. This is where we're called to be. So this element of qualification and disqualification, I'm so tired of the enemy just like ransacking people with this. It's so stupid, but we buy into it. Because yes, there is a little bit of element of truth that there's bad in there. We didn't perfectly perform. No kidding. <laughs> We're all well aware of this. And he just like throws it in your face and keeps it on there. And if you're a perfectionist, like your personality is you just, you just stay in that place where so it's just so bad, it's just so wrong. And it's just like this weight. It's just eating up people way too often and way too frequently. Nobody just shows up and just arrives. We're good. 
That's just it. I'm not good. I'm walking in more victory. I promise you that. Things I used to eat my lunch, it doesn't eat it so much anymore. But then there's other things that I'm like, I'm not gaining great traction right now. But it's not hopeless, because I know that I will. I'm destined for victory and for glory and to be impactful on this world. That's just what it is. And it's not just for Jared. It's for everybody. You're destined to be used by God in powerful ways to transform your family to those around you, your job site, everything. So just because you're going through it and going through a thing does not mean that like God bringing His kingdom on this earth has now stopped in your life. The door's not closed. Yeah. Dang is right. Close with two verses. You've heard this one before, probably. James 1, and they're doing the inductive Bible study in James Friday nights. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall. This is uh, James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's powerful right there. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. What, I'm supposed to be happy like when I'm, God has given me all, all these difficult things are happening? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying there's a joy at the end knowing that you're not disqualified in any way and a good work is actually in the process. A hopeless situation not falling apart, a good work is in the process and it's really good. And what happens is it becomes more difficult. This is why I really resonate with David. It becomes more difficult when it's just a long, long season. It's hard to have faith and patience work together well for an extended period of time. David is like 15 years into when he got anointed in his living room at 16. We're reading right now, and he's in a bad place. He's like 15 years in. He has still has not experienced what God has said and what he's decreed in his living room and what everybody else has said about it. 15 years. But it's not like it's hopeless and he's just done. And actually, honestly, if the story stopped here, it'd be like, no wonder God didn't use him. He's a loser. He's stupid. Right? Like, but there's a chapter 28. And in chapter 29, and there's a second Samuel. So it's so stupid and silly for us to stop in a sentence or in a chapter when there's like a whole novel to be written. There's a reason for joy and for hope, and that's the entire purpose of good news. And these angels are just singing about this birth of Jesus Christ is going to come and there's going to be joy and good news. Not just for salvation, but then also for a life that when they respond, God just does amazing work in a person's life. And if people buy into that and they follow it and they try to maintain and keep themselves connected, there's a whole globe that can be transformed. Good tidings of great joy. Not just optimism. It doesn't get it done. 
Last verse. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we... Everybody say we. We We are ambassadors. Everybody say ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. New Testament is God in His infinite wisdom has said, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is heaven. I'm using my people to make that happen. We're looking at ambassadors. Ambassadors, they they go and they represent. If you have an ambassador to the UN or, or for whatever, they go and they represent a certain party. That means they bring with it their interests, right? their beliefs, their approach, their vision. right? That's what they do. And so God is saying, hey, listen, I, just, I didn't leave it to the evangelists and to the apostles and to the pastors. Every Christian I left as ambassadors on this globe to demonstrate who I am, what my love is like, how I think. We're all in. And that's why I'm so even more encouraged about a church family like getting that and growing in that because that's what's needed. It's not about an individual. It never was. Israel's entire history wasn't just tied to one leader, not even just to David. God's eternal plan is never tied to an individual. It's tied to his purposes, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. So we are ambassadors. So the New Testament, you read the, the New Testament and you see what happens with David. Well, jeez, it's sad and it's bad. But we know something about God's character. We can read in the New Testament how there's always hope. And now, honestly, if we start disqualifying ourselves or others, or others, everybody say others. others. We got to be careful. We have to be really careful. You might be seeing. I know we want to receive this for ourselves. Yeah, I'm not done yet. God's got a good plan. I'm not done in my sentence. There's a whole story. Amen. Guess what? Same thing's true. For the neighbor, or the one on Facebook, or the one on Twitter, or the one on Instagram, or whoever you may be observing, being like, what in the... God's done with them. That's a lost cause. We do that stuff. I've done that stuff. I do less of it. But every once in a while it creeps in there, I'm like, eh, I don't know. They're going to need extra grace. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not living in it. I haven't received it. Silly language. So it's really important that we get a grasp and we understand the God that is at work and the greater narrative and the greater picture. And if we start disqualifying ourselves for silly, stupid things, and we start disqualifying others, and they ain't never coming back. You know, we just get real judgmental and really critical. Like, listen, there's rare situations, you know, maybe the church needs to step in and discipline things. And there's, there's situations for that. But they're pretty rare. Honestly, as a church and a church family, and our just own personal responsibility, we're called to love other people really well and bring his love, his good news, his faithfulness, and just be ambassadors of that. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't mean we never have boundaries in our lives. We do have boundaries. 
the safe way to do it, and we have to understand that and grow in that. But we play a really beautiful part. And honestly, it looks even more beautiful if we're doing it together. Amen? Amen. So let's uh, pass out these elements here. Thanks. I'll take that off for you. Thanks, brother. So just hold on to the elements there. Don't take them yet. I want to make sure we do one thing before we take it together. But I would just say, use the time as, you, as you're holding on to the elements. Just think about your life and what's going on mentally and with other people and God's plan and His narrative work. Think about that. Like, Take some time right now and just think about it. It'll be quiet in here. We're not going to play any music. And it'll be quiet just for that purpose to just really reflect. So I want to do this before we do communion. Um, and you guys can keep your, your heads bowed. And, and, but um, there might be some people here this morning that, honestly, David's season we just read, you might be right in the middle of that or somewhere in it, somewhere where you're just like in a really bad place. And basically everything you're kind of doing and thinking is just in the wrong direction. It's just all bad. If that's the case, man, right now is a really good opportunity to say, Lord, it is all bad, and it is really wrong for me, but I want to be headed in the right direction. I know you can help bring me there. If you're in a really bad place with Jesus right now, just a bad place, just look up. All right, just look up. If you're in a bad place, praise God. That's awesome. Just in a bad, nice. Praise God. Good, good, good. Anybody else? Good. Praise God, brother. Awesome. Nice. All right, then I'm just going to pray for those that looked up. Father, for those that looked up, you know their story, you know their situation, you know their hearts. I thank you for the courage even to just admit it. 
Father, you can just take a simple confession and admission and breathe amazing life and power into it. And we pray that you would. And I pray, Father, that those that looked up, that, Lord, they wouldn't be deceived into thinking that the work is done. I pray, Father, that you will put, or that they would seek out other voices around them that can help put them on the right track. It's very important. And so I pray, Father, for those that looked up. Confession is a step, Lord. And then the next step is to position ourselves, Lord, into healthy and good places. And so, Father, we ask for your favor upon them seeking out other people and surrounding themselves intentionally with words from you. So, God, help them, bless them. And Father, for the rest of us, God, bring to the forefront of our mind the greater narrative, the bigger story. Bring the shift that only the Holy Spirit can bring. One that's filled with hope and with purpose and with a plan. It does involve tears, it does involve heartache. We will have discouragements. We will have frustrations. There will be letdowns. I thank you that our circumstances do not determine the goodness of your heart or what you're doing. Rise the faith levels in our own hearts and in this place so we can receive that and walk in it. Do that work, Father. Do that work. It says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, and so we take and we eat. Then he took the cup. He gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, and so we take and we drink. And Brother Rob, do you mind coming up and blessing us on our way out?